Welcome to the Sidious Mag Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Chavez. We're currently looking for title sponsors for the Sidious Mag Podcast in 2022. So if you want to get the word out about your brand, product, or event, we've got some great guests and shows coming up soon. Reach out to me via email. It's chris at SidiousMag.com, and we can find a way to work together to tap into the loyal Sidious Mag listeners who keep this show going strong week in and week out. Support for this episode comes from the listeners like you. Thanks again to everyone who has helped make this all-in endeavor possible. Many thanks to everyone who has backed us on Patreon over the past couple weeks, and a warm welcome to Brian Chambers and Tony Spaulding for signing up within the last seven days. We're excited to bring you some more fun and awesome content in 2022. If you enjoy what we're doing across the City Smack Podcast Network, whether it's this show, D3 Glory Days, More Than Running, Run Your Mouth, or if you just follow us to keep up with the sport, Support us over at patreon.com slash Mag. On Patreon, you can donate anything from a dollar a month. We even have some people who contribute $20 a month, and someone recently pledged a dollar a day for 31 bucks a month. So we can cover hosting expenses, we can plan our on-location coverage, some content trips, website expenses, and other things like hiring our podcast producer for some of our shows. Think of $4 a month on Patreon like buying me or my colleagues, Mac Fleet or Kyle Merber, a cup of coffee. Anything more than that is greatly appreciated. For those of you who are unable to commit to a monthly contribution, you can also make a one-time donation by sending any dollar amount over to Sidious Mag on Venmo. Feel free to include any message to let us know why. It could be because you enjoy the conversations, maybe we're keeping you company on a run or on a commute, or if you just want to shout out a friend, teammate, coach, or family member who also loves the show, you can consider Venmo like a virtual tip jar. Those who chipped in this past week on Venmo include Amanda Zarl, Nick Atkins, and Joe Duffield. You can get your hands on any Sidious Mag merch by visiting SidiousMag.com and hitting the merch tab, just another way to support us. We added coffee mugs on there recently so that you can enjoy your morning brew while reading the latest edition of the Laugh Count newsletter by Kyle Merber every Wednesday. Last thing before we get to the interview, I'm always grateful for the listeners who leave a little five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify because your reviews and ratings help new people discover the show and let future sponsors know what you think. Thanks again to all those who shared some of the most recent episodes on their Instagram stories or on Twitter. I do my best to reshare every time someone tags either me or Sidious Mag in their stories. So thanks so much for your support. My guest for this episode is Alicia Monson. She's a professional runner for the On Athletics Club and a 2021 Olympian in the 10,000 meters for the United States. Way before that, she was a star at the University of Wisconsin. And just a few weeks ago, she won her first national title with a win at the USATF Cross Country Championships out in San Diego. And in this episode, we touch on a bit more of her personality and dive into why so many things have been going right for her in the past two years. She's got big goals to make the U.S. national team in the 10,000 meters again for this summer's World Championships in Eugene, Oregon. And I think she does a great job providing insight into her mindset during races and when exactly it is that she makes her move to break the competition. So stick around for her recap of the super hot Olympic trials, 10,000 meters, the cross country championships out in San Diego, and her funniest drug testing story is definitely one to remember. So without further ado, here is Alicia Monson. All right, now we welcome on Alicia Monson to the City of Smack podcast, fresh off of winning the USATF cross-country title. So what a way to start 2022. So congrats on that. And I guess it's like right back into hard work because now you're in uh, your biggest, a big training block down in Florida with OAC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's where we escaped the cold weather of Boulder. So we'll take it. <laughs> how, uh, how has it been? I guess like you, you guys must have left right after the fires, right? Yes. Well, the fires were about New Year's. So we, we actually just got here on Wednesday. So just after the race. Um, but yeah, kind of a crazy, it was cold and snowy, but and yeah, crazy time in Boulder. <laughs> I, I like following along with enough of like the people training out in Boulder, whether it's uh, Emma Coburn's group, your guys' group, or even just like, uh, like the the track club guys that are out there. And um, it's so interesting. There's like the different variety mixes of weather. Like you guys had like a really odd stretch, like a couple like in November, I think it was where it was like 70 degrees on a random day. And then like two days or three weeks, uh, three days later, it was like snow on the ground. How have you sort of like balanced that? I guess it's totally different coming from Wisconsin where you would just like 
all right, it's December, December through May is going to be freezing cold. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I actually, it's, even though, like, it, it is winter in Colorado, it's way better than Wisconsin, where, like, it'll snow, and you're just running on snow for, like, six months, whereas, yeah, the, the Colorado days were, like, maybe it'll snow a foot, but it'll melt, like, two days later, even, I mean, Dathan will go shovel the track, and, like, the sun will keep it off, so we can just go do a track workout, like, you know, it's 30 degrees outside and you're just fine with the sunlight. So yeah, it's, it's a lot. Um, I went back home for Christmas, uh, and was training for a bit there and it was literally like 15 degrees the whole time. Uh, so it kind of toughened me up a little bit and re- reminded me of that, uh, boulder weather is not so bad. <laughs> yeah. I guess for like the, the average runners out here, like for me, I'm kind of a baby. I see 20 degrees. I'm like, all right, it might be a treadmill day, but for just like even the common person, can you take us into the mind of a professional runner when you see 15 degrees or even sometimes single digits and you have to go out for, for the run? How do you convince yourself uh, to, to do it? I mean, one, it's really helpful that my boyfriend, Ben, is also a runner. And so like, it's nice to have someone to do it with you because if I were alone, I'd be like, I would, what I usually do is procrastinate for like a full hour, which obviously if you're a person who has a job, you can't just do that. So I think it's, it was helpful uh, to have someone else to kind of hold you accountable and also like just to chat on the run to kind of forget about how cold it is because yeah, it's kind of painful if you're just alone. (laughs) I think I put it up on my Instagram not too long ago that I think the trap that I fall into is sort of, you put on the tights, you check your phone, you scroll through Instagram, then you put on your jacket, you do some more (laughs) scrolling, then you put on your gloves and, and it's just sort of like by the time all these little moments add up it's been an hour or two hours and you're just like all right maybe I won't go for the run (laughs) (laughs) yeah but you know treadmill is always an option but I don't know I I prefer to get outside just because I get so sick of running on a treadmill after like three miles so (laughs) yeah so take us through I guess the what, what has it been now almost two years I guess since you signed your your pro contract and it, it was interesting because I, I was thinking more about just a little bit of the past couple of years of your running career. And when the pandemic hit, you were faced with sort of like that decision of just like, do I stay in the NCAA or do I take up the opportunity to sign a pro deal and just, you know, start my professional career ahead of what maybe at that point you were still holding out hope there was the 2020 Olympics. So what what was that decision making process like for you after you know to kind of decide my time at Wisconsin has come to an end after you know having a lot of success you know within the Big Ten and even just nat- nationally being a five time All American. Yeah, I it was like when uh, everything was getting canceled and we were kind of like, okay, well, I could just start a master's degree and uh, you know continue running for Wisconsin and. Um, and actually then Wisconsin as a school decided that, uh, for the athletics department, um, seniors wouldn't get that eligibility. They actually asked us saying, Hey, you know, you have so many opportunities, whether it's continuing on in athletics or, you know, business professional work opportunities. And, uh, so they said, you know, go take those. So it actually (laughs) made the decision easy for me, even though it kind of sucked at the time, uh, so yeah, then I signed the professional contract and it turned out obviously to be the best thing for me because I ended up being able to get a good year of training and make the Olympic team. So uh, yeah, kind of a weird year for me, but the I feel like the entire pandemic and having less races was actually a really great transition for into the pro world, just because I know a lot of people kind of struggle that first year, but if there's not many races, then it's not really a problem. <laughs> Definitely. So it's funny because like I've had Leah, uh, Morgan, uh, Joe and Ollie on this podcast before. And so I've kind of each time tapped into sort of like the different ways Dathan went about assembling this team. What was the the conversation like and the, and the call to you? Uh, so with me, actually, Leah was a big part of me joining the team because uh and ollie of course because ollie signed with on before me and so i was kind of still deciding what to do and 
he was talking up the team, of course, and, you know, saying that Dathan's the coach. And so obviously I got on some calls with Dathan and, um, but at the same time, I was like, okay, I don't really know Dathan. I don't know him as a coach, but he had been coaching Leah for a few years and drug her out of injury. Like he just like saved, like she was kind of ready to be done with her career. And he came in and um, just like helped her through his coaching. And um, so just to hear all of the good things she had to say was actually kind of what made me be like, okay, this is going to like, we've got a good thing going for us here. And um, so yeah, then that was kind of just like, okay, we're going to build the women's side of things. Um, because we already, I think like three of the men had already signed maybe. Um, so yeah, that was kind of, and obviously there's a lot of question marks like for us because at that point, because the team hadn't been built at all. And it was a company that like, I hadn't even heard of until a few months before, to be honest. Um, and so just to see like, over the past year, like how much they've invested in making sure that we have everything we need and that we have, you know, Dathan uh, knows exact, like, it's crazy how much Dathan has taken on and been successful because like, yeah, over the past year, we've just kept on getting better. One of the key things as to like why he's been so successful with like helping resurrect Leah Found's career is because of, you know, in his own professional career, he had this slew of injuries, like name the body part, there's a good chance Dathan probably got injured with it. And so he knows kind of how to handle that stuff and also when to, to pull back and, and how to, you know, adjust things accordingly to a person's training based on how their body is feeling. Mm-hmm. And so Leah has kind of pointed to that being one of the biggest strengths that she's drawn upon for from Dathan as a coach what do you think you've kind of really pulled from him I think pretty similar okay one good thing about Dathan having broken like literally anything on his body is I could have some pain somewhere and he's just like oh yeah I've had that before like this is how you deal with like literally anything he just like is also an anatomy nerd just because of that like he he knows any tendon or whatever um And yeah, I think also part of um, how far I've come is Dathan has made several like Olympic 10K teams. And so like event specific, I've been able to learn a lot from him of how he made those teams and what kind of training he did. Obviously my training isn't the same as what his was, but uh, just like what kind of, you know, barriers he had to get through in order to make those teams and to kind of delve into the 10k distance because I didn't really do that at all in college I ran a lot of 5ks so um yeah a lot of event specific stuff I think has been helpful just to kind of um yeah see how we did it and kind of keep building off of that mentally how do you break down a 10k you personally because you're having a lot of success in it and you know the common person like there aren't too many like average you know, common person, 10 Ks on a track. We just kind of think of it as like, that's a lot of laps. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, no, it is a lot of laps. I actually like, I actually try to zone out the laps for the most part. Like the, I picture the first 5k as just like getting on the train and getting through the first 5k as easily as possible. And like as controlled as possible. And then, um, once, once you get to the second 5k, you're kind of looking to okay, where's two miles to go? And then once you have eight laps to go, uh, it's kind of like, personally, I think of that as the time when people kind of start to kick because they just start ramping it up a little bit. And then, um, yeah, with a mile to go, like, which is weird to think about as like a regular person that you're kicking for an entire mile, but like, that's basically what it is. So yeah, I even like at Tokyo, I, (laughs) I was, I felt so bad because it was like so hot and humid and we went out fast that I was just like, I don't want to be alone (laughs) for this whole race. So I'm just going to hold on until I have a mile to go and then we'll just see what happens. (laughs) So yeah, kind of, I mean, I don't know, like as much expertise as you can have at some point, you're just like uh, another person trying to hold on. (laughs) With that kick coming like so far out if, if we want to call that last like mile a kick um is that partly why when we look at sort of i was looking over some of like your results and stats from like last year and you set prs in the 1500 the mile the 3k and the 5k and that's really just like 
sharpening up your speed to kn- be able to cover those moves when, when people go? Was that kind of like the focus when you guys drew up the plan for the season? Yeah, like a lot of it is just like we just keep trying to get better and having like a I have so much more of a base than I had in the past that that's kind of um, becoming my strength now, I guess, is like, um, you know, maybe you get in a in a a 1500 race with a bunch of mid D runners and I'm never going to, I mean, I don't want to say never, but I'm very unlikely to just outkick them in the last 50 meters. So we're kind of trying to draw on my strength and, um, and I mean, Dathan's workouts are like, um, different from my workouts in college and that their quality for like the whole time, instead of maybe just in college, I would have a quality, like last couple of reps. So it's just kind of building a ton of base so that I can get into these like high level 5k's or 10k's and be able to hold on and be able to put myself into position at the end to maybe uh do something good who do you think has the best kick at the end of a 10k right now on the american side (sighs) okay it's so like i would say in a foot race kick like last hundred meters i mean i want to put money on myself obviously um but (laughs) Okay, I would like to see someone like Josette Norris run a 10K. Okay. Because I think we could have a really good kick. It's just a question of, um, you know, whether someone could be there to kick at the end. But I don't know. I would say I think with my 3K speed, I think that, you know, I come from a good spot to kick at the end. But um, I mean, like Emily Sisson last year, obviously she just like ran away from us so that none of us could foot race her anyways. Um, So yeah, I don't know. I'd be interested to see um, if we have any kind of sit and kick race uh, coming up in the future. Yeah. So how did you draw up the plan for the the cross race? Because it was like pretty tight and compact for a bit, but then even like sort of like you said on that final lap with still a little bit more to go you decided to, to make the move and kind of, it's, it's funny because we watched like Manchester road race and Wayne Kaladi just broke the field. And so coming into a race like this, uh, some people might be waiting for Wayne's big move. Instead, you sort of kind of were the one to throw the first punch and then just kind of the response wasn't there and you, and you ran away for, for the title. It was like, what was the, the, the dynamic behind the race plan there? Yeah, it was kind of like, we knew that, you know, maybe there would be a pack of like five of us or something running. Uh, and I feel like Wayne and I just kind of naturally, like we've been competing against each other since our junior year of college a lot. Um, I think someone like, I think someone tallied up the number of races we've run and it's like 18 or something. Wow. And uh, so it just kind of was like, we just naturally, you know, went to the front and ran like side by side for the whole time and um I the whole time I think we were both kind of just like measuring each other (laughs) taking taking curves and stuff just to see like how you know maybe you throw in a little surge and see how the other responds and I also like I went into the race Dathan and I had kind of said okay just you know stay controlled for as long as possible because we're just gonna trust my kick and um but then as the race kind of went on and we kept on, uh, like by the time it was the third lap, it was just Wayne and I, um, and I kind of felt like she was getting a few steps behind me every now and then. And so, um, we were just kind of like, I'll just go, like, I might as well, if I can be, have a sure race rather than a foot race, then I might as well just take it. Um, which afterwards I kind of wish that I would have just waited because the last lap was like so sad for me because I just felt so horrible (laughs) like we had run pretty fast actually I don't like yeah um I kind of was regretting it by the last lap but it made it so that I wasn't like anxious about going into the end because um I was just kind of running by myself but yeah I don't know it was kind of like just yeah go until you can't anymore out there (laughs) Yeah. It, it's like a, striking a good balance of like assessing risk. It's like, and then also reading the field. So having raced Wayne like so many times, when do you know, like, okay, I think I've got her this time. Like, is it something you pick up on 
I, I, you know, I always go back to hearing how Meb has described like the 2014 Boston Marathon, where he's like listening to how his competitors are like breathing or like he, you know, takes form cues and sees like, oh, this person's like, you know, really falling apart already. And so he's able to judge these things. And again, in the mindset of a pro runner, you guys know that kind of stuff. So in the head to head with you and Wayne, have you picked up on things? I definitely think yeah that Wayne and I know each other well enough to know like when the other person is struggling and I think it's kind of just similar with racing anyone where like if you start to you know consistently get a step ahead of them or consistently be like just be a little bit uh you know have a better posture than them or something like that that uh you think okay so even on the other side of things like even if you feel bad like a lot of the time which is kind of weird even in professional racing like a lot of the time if you just look like you're ready to go people will think oh she's ready to go I should like you know not make a move uh so I don't know it's kind of just striking a balance of like sticking your head in it but also like not going in over your head so yeah and sometimes faking it like you don't want to let the other person know that you're falling apart (laughs) yeah like I feel lactic all the way in my head right now, but I'm going to pretend that it's fine. <laughs> so in the case of one of the races where I feel like it was a death march, obviously the one, you know what I'm bringing up the mm-hmm. Olympic trials last yeah. year. Um, how did like I, Emily Sisson was the one who just kind of took it upon herself to just like break the field from the, from early on and yeah. then really did become a race for the second and third spots how do you shift that game plan in the middle of a race and, and just kind of know, all right, she's gone. I have to go to battle with, you know, five other women now. Yeah, it was, it was kind of a surprise to me, to be honest, during that race, because Emily got it going from like after one mile. So that's like a long time to keep racing. Uh, And so it kind of did change to like, okay, where's everyone else? And at, after a while it was just like a pack of four of us so at that point you're just saying okay I have to beat one person in this pack um as long as the other people aren't coming up on us and so it was also hard at that point because it was so hot and like literally halfway through I knew that like this was not (laughs) not going well for me like I'm already dizzy um so I was just kind of like trying to focus so hard on like keeping it together and um racing for second or third um but then basically we still have to try and chase Emily as much as possible because people are still behind us um and so yeah I'm like by the time it was like one to two miles to go I can't even really tell you what happened because I was like so out of it by that by that point um so then like I mean by the end I remember I was like I stumbled a little bit with like 200 meters to go. And I was just like, okay, keep it together or else you're not on this team. Like you just have to finish the race. Um, So yeah, it was kind of a, it's kind of a weird, like I definitely tipped the balance a little bit during that race because um, I just was trying to finish at that point. But luckily I had already put myself in a good position. Um, So yeah, hopefully in the future, we just keep on working on me building that strength so I don't have to do that again (laughs) so well also hopefully it's not that hot (laughs) yes that too which I think I handled it was also very hot in Tokyo just more humid less sun so I think I handled it a lot better in Tokyo it's just it was kind of a scary thing to do six weeks after I did the same thing so (laughs) yeah so I guess this time around like you are more fortunate in the fact that like oh they moved the 10k up to a couple weeks before USA's and holding it totally separately is this something now I guess like you're thinking considering the 5k 10k double yeah it's kind of like it it does open things up a lot for a lot of people and I think that it'll make the races a lot better actually because you know maybe everyone goes for the 10k because whether you make the team or not, you've got a month later to do the 5k. Um, So I think I, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to like, I mean, hopefully I make the 10k team, but then what, whatever happens, like, then we can kind of rehash things and be like, all right, do I want to rest? Are we going back for the 5k? So yeah, I don't know. I think it'll make things a lot more fun. 
Yeah. I want to go back to, to the trials from last year. And when you wake up that morning and you see what the temperature is, and I guess at that point they moved the race up like only like an hour or so, I think. Right. And then had it been not the trials any other day, you wake up in Boulder and you see that weather forecast and you have a really hard workout. Would you have just pushed it back to like later on in the afternoon, skipped it entirely? Like what, how would you have approached that in any other setting or day, not being the trials? So we had actually had kind of similar weather recently at that point in Boulder in that it would be really hot and sunny, like in the late morning. And then by the afternoon, maybe it's still 80 degrees, but the sun is low in the day that we would do a workout at like 6 PM. Mm -hmm. We just wait all day to, to do the workout. And so I was, I didn't really like the fact that it was at 10 AM. Cause that's when the sun is like the strongest, maybe it's cooler than it'll be later in the day, but the sun makes such a difference. Um, and so, so I was kind of like, Oh, either have it at 8 AM or like 8 PM. Uh, but yeah, I mean, at some point you're just like, everyone's dealing with this. So, um, you just have to deal with it better than everyone else and make the team. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it, when, when workouts are like that, we usually just say, let's not do it in the morning. Let's just do it in the evening. Once it's, once the sun is starting to set a bit. So that's what I would recommend to people. If you're thinking about working out in the, in the morning when it's getting warm or like 5am, I guess, but yeah. So did you wake up that morning and just like start pounding water, put on an ice vest until the last like minute or, or like until the race like actually began? Like how did you sort of acc acclimate your body and keep that body temperature down? Yeah, we were wearing ice vests. Pretty much everyone out there was wearing ice vests. And even before we went out onto the track, um, I was like sticking ice cubes into my uniform so that I would still have ice on me like as the race started. Um, in, in hindsight, I think I personally should have done a better job at pounding like electrolytes mm. um, because I just kind of, I usually like hydrate pretty well, but I think I should have just been a little bit more vigilant on that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was also, it's also like afterwards we started doing a lot more heat acclimatization for Tokyo. And I think that helped a lot, like wearing even sweatshirts on mm. like, wow. 60 degree days just to make it really warm. So, so do you remember like pretty clearly those last couple laps or like when, when was it that I guess you started to get, no, you don't. Yeah, no. Like I honestly, after with like eight laps to go, I don't really remember much at all. Like, wow. <laughs> so I was like, I was, yeah, I was definitely out of it. But at that point, like I was just focusing on trying to make the team. So yeah, I mean, very different experience for me. Yeah. Is there anything that you've picked up on from like being able to go back and rewatch the race and be like, okay, that's when the lights turned off, but, or like, and then no one's home, but the body is still moving. <laughs> yeah. I, someone made a comment actually on when I stopped pushing up my sunglasses because they're like watching me. And after a while, like, you know, you still have the energy to push up your sunglasses, but then after a while it, it was just like, I just couldn't do it. So that was when it was just like, things are not okay. <laughs> wow. That's so interesting. I didn't even pick up on that. And then when you do the interview, like you managed to put together a couple of coherent sentences though. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I also like literally don't remember, like, I remember that I went to do the interview. I have no idea what I said. <laughs> so yeah. Pulled it so together it, a little bit. <laughs> and then after that, everyone knows you were taken to the, to the hospital and mm -hmm. Is that a moment where then you you come to back back to kind of being back to life in a, in a sense? And you it was your first question like, how did the race end? Like, did I make the team? Or like, did did they break the news to you from a hospital? No, I like knew. And the thing is, I didn't lose consciousness at all. Okay. Like, I knew that I was going to lose consciousness, but I was able to like remain uh, there like for the whole time. It's just kind of like. I guess I don't, I don't want to encourage drinking, but it's kind of like if you were drinking and you, there's some things that you just don't remember, like, yeah. um, so it was kind of, yeah, kind of like, I just, it was kind of weird. Uh, once I was like in the medical tent before they took me to the hospital, because I was most definitely out of it. And I was like, 
am I in Eugene right now? Like trying to remember where I was. Like I knew what had happened, but I'm just really confused. <laughs> so yeah. Because yeah, one of the listener questions that was sent in via Instagram is ask her, does she black out often? <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I was like, I'm not asking that one. Um, so afterwards, you said you you did some more mother training for uh, the Olympics, then sort of sizing up like the world in terms of just like, oh, all right, I finished top three in America. But now like seeing the world record fall like twice and then yeah. knowing that both those women were in the race, like, how did you sort of think of it? And, and I guess Dathan is super valuable in this sense where he's got that international experience and knowing like maybe a medal isn't happening today, but I want to be the best that I can and finish as high as I can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was um, obviously, yeah, like there's some some crazy races that went on this year. And so, and I also had never really, you know, done an international race like that. And so we kind of went into it, um, actually being able to key off of like specific people that I knew I could kind of place around like the other two US women, like I, you know, we would be able to basically run together most of the way. And that's kind of what we ended up doing. And then a couple of other um, athletes who like Coco, for example, um, we knew that like, she, I could probably be somewhere around her. And uh, so just like athletes who we knew kind of had similar abilities because it was like, I don't, I can't remember what pace that race. I feel like we went through 5k in like 15, 15 or something <laughs> like that. Like definitely faster than my comfort zone. Um, but it was kind of just like hang on to the people that, you know, you can hang on to and hope for the best by the end. So, and also like, just gaining experience because I hadn't gotten that. And hopefully in the future, I'm more fit and more able to, you know, potentially put myself into a meddling position. Um, but for now, just making the best that I could make out of the day. And that meant, you know, keying off of other people basically. Yeah. So you ended up finishing 13th in the, in the final. Now, how do you sort of approach goal setting for 2022 after that in conversations with your coach and your training partners about, you know, now it's hard enough to like make the U S team that like, you don't want to kind of get too far ahead of yourself and make like world goals, but they are out there. You kind of do want to set them. So, you know, that you have something to shoot for how, what, what are your goals for, for this year? Yeah. I mean, you said making the U S team is like so hard that, um if you make the U.S. team you can do pretty well at Worlds really um I mean like if part of the issue is there's such a wide gap between like what the world record is and what we often run like a full minute (laughs) at least um so part of it is just like okay how fit can I get and what can I do to put myself in a good position because maybe it's a race where we're not going at world record pace so if we can just be like a little bit you know outside of my comfort zone maybe but still be in a good position to kick then um you know it's kind of it's kind of you're just gonna hope for like a sit and kick race basically um but uh we're kind of looking forward to like my career overall and maybe looking more at Paris 2024 so what can we do right now at Worlds to kind of keep giving me experience and setting me up for that um and right now that just looks like doing a lot of running so yeah yeah but so right now we're kind of focusing on indoors um seeing how that goes and then uh yeah turning our focus to outdoors The thing with good 10K runners is the excitement around them eventually moving up in distance to the half marathon and then the marathon. Do you think like before 2024, you might test it out? We definitely not marathoning before 2024, um, but down the line, yeah, looking at marathoning, um, not sure when I'll do a half marathon, to be honest. Like I could see myself in a couple of years, maybe just like dabbling in a fall half marathon or something uh which is kind of exciting to me but um I feel like there's a lot more space for me right now to get fast on the track since I'm still um like I'm 
focusing on the 3k for indoors this season. So I've still got a long ways to be able to handle like 13 miles of running fast. Um, but yeah, kind of, I'm, it makes me excited that, you know, I can handle the 10k fairly well and there's a lot of room for, for growth, uh, down, down the road. Yeah. And it's interesting because like the, the 10 K gets a lot of flack sometimes it's just being like really long to, to watch and like maybe not as entertaining as a 1500 or a 5 K as a 10 K specialist. I'll let you make the case here. Why do you think the 10 K is a, is a fun event for people to watch? Okay. I agree that watching track for half an hour can be really boring. And especially for people who come to watch like the hundred meter, like it, it just seems so long, but if you watch the entire race, the, the last half of it is like so interesting to see the moves that people make, because there's so many different ways you could run that race. Like six miles is a long way to run it. You know, the trials is a race from basically mile one. Sometimes it's like literally a 200 meter sprint finish, which I think is also really exciting. Um, so just to see like the grind that people put out, like any 10 K you watch, like it's just, it gets raw by the end and there's always carnage. Um, so I, I think like just seeing how much people put into the race is kind of the exciting part just to see like how hard they push for literally half an hour. What's the call room like at the Olympic trials and, and is it different at the Olympics because especially before a 10 K like, no, I like, is everyone just kind of in agreement without even saying a word is like, man, this is going to suck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'd say both races, like everyone knew that it was going to be a really tough race, but I like, I feel like I personally like to keep things a little bit lighthearted before a race. So like even at the Olympic trials, like I had found, um, my Wisconsin teammate, Amy Davis, who now runs for Hanson's Brooks. Um, she was also running the 10K. And so it was kind of fun just to like before the race, be able to just chat with her and kind of catch up, which like isn't, I guess, what people sometimes do before like the Olympic trials. But it personally helps me to just like kind of forget about it <laughs> um, and just to kind of like smile and chat with people. Um, so, I mean, I guess, I don't know. I personally like to just take things less seriously. So, <laughs> yeah, no, that's always fun. I mean, Kipchoge starts smiling towards the end of his marathons when it gets really tough and he says it helps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it seems to help him. So, <laughs> all right. I want to toss it to some listener questions that were sent in via Instagram. Um, let's go to uh, Kiera Sue94 asks, favorite Wisconsin beer? Oh, okay. I'm not a person to ask about this because I don't like the flavor of hop. Like I drink sours, but I do not like an IPA or anything like that. But people love a uh, new Glarus spotted cow. Like yep. that's what, like every time we travel back from Wisconsin, we like bring a or something of it back to Colorado. Um, so I don't, I'd say that's like the go-to for a lot of my friends and family. <laughs> yeah. For me, that's, that was the go-to when I was at Marquette and like, I live in New York right now. And it's one of those things that like, if I know anyone who's driving from Wisconsin to New York, it's like, pick, pick up some and like, I'll pay extra to bring it all the way here. <laughs> um, let's go to wisconsin high school running mount rushmore who do you put on your top four and stephen levine 93 says is molly seidel a lock on there oh i definitely think molly seidel deserves a spot on that like yeah i mean olympic bronze medalist for sure yeah i would say molly uh chris Solinsky's got to be on there um Susie Favor Hamilton, I would say. She was That's another, right. another legend. Um, I'm trying to think of like, I mean, hopefully in 12 years like me, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I, 
I think I'm going to leave that open just to, there. I feel like there's a lot, even like Annie Frisbee is really coming out for Wisconsin. Um, I feel like there's so many, like, which is kind of surprising. Maybe it's just because Wisconsin people are like so tough from the cold or something like that. Yeah. That, uh, yeah. I think, I don't know. There's just, I don't know. Can you think of any good other like Wisconsin legends that definitely should be on there? Uh, I'm not as in tune about the Wisconsin, like high school history, but like, obviously, yeah, Selinski, Susie, Peter, Hamilton, Molly are like the big three that like immediately come to mind. Um, but it's funny that you brought up sort of like the Midwest tough aspect of it because Justin Britton submitted a question and asked was like, what do you think is it about Midwest runners that makes them so tough? Yeah. I mean, I would say like, honestly, we were actually talking about this yesterday because I was like, oh, it's kind of chilly. And then they're like, you just came from Wisconsin. And it's just like, honestly, different. Like some survival instinct comes out of you when it's like negative 30 degree wind chill and you have to go out for a run. Um, yeah, I would say just like people willing to grind and to like make themselves hurt probably is what brings wisconsin people success (laughs) someone asked uh what's your favorite creation on at these are my snacks so this is your your uh your food instagram account right yeah my friend and i made that in college like four or five years ago we were active on it for like a year and then we just never did anything about it so i mean you can go look at it it's got it was active quite a while ago but we were like super into I mean I still am super into snacking but I just like uh don't have the time or energy to take pictures of it um I I mean we were just super into like toast basically and waffles we were big into waffles um yeah man I kind of forgot about that actually (laughs) yeah I just went back and like I I, I did a quick search on it and I was like oh I didn't know this was a thing (laughs) yeah it was a phase I don't know (laughs) Wilmer 92 asks what's the most important strength exercises in your routine oh um I've actually had like a long kind of progression of strength because I I played basketball in high school so I did summer weightlifting and stuff. So I've done it for a long time. And in college, we kind of, um, you know, I did quite a bit of like Olympic lifting even, even, um, and just also like functional strength stuff. And now um, we have a physio who um, Dathan worked with for a lot of his career. He's from Michigan and he writes all of our strength training now and it's a lot of functional stuff so kind of like things that you wouldn't really think things that you would say are stereotypical distance runner lifts like kind of lunges and stuff like that and a lot of stuff that really just works on like your hamstrings and your hips and just things that like you really need for running um so I would say I would say yeah kind of focusing less on just like getting really strong and more on like what's gonna make me a better runner and also like even out the you know 80 to 90 miles a week so that I don't just like you know feel pain so yeah yeah. um yeah a specific thing I would say is a lot of we do like uh banded hip exercises before every run so like clamshells or like uh sideways walking I don't know how you'd say that but just a lot of like activation I think we do Carter Limbert asks will you go on the coffee club podcast I will see I mean they haven't invited me on (laughs) um yeah I think they were planning on waiting until we're at training camp because if they're in Boulder like there's so many people around that there's lots of opportunities for people to come on the podcast whereas when we're here training at training at Florida, like there's not as many people. So I think they're just kind of waiting till they're stuck with us to like put us on. Um, so yeah, you know, we'll see, we'll see if I'm worth it. So yeah, I'd argue the, the Olympian title lets you cut that line. (laughs) (laughs) You'd think, but you know, maybe they'll, I'll, I'll have to require that they make me a coffee in order for me to go on. So yeah. (laughs) 
Are you as big of a coffee fan as, as those guys? Oh yeah. I mean, part of it is that I was on a college team with Ollie and Morgan. And so they had like a Breville espresso machine. And then during quarantine, I also bought a Breville espresso machine. So, um, yeah, it's kind of been acquired from them, I guess. So I think pretty much everyone on our team is pretty into coffee. (laughs) I like that. All right. Final questions that I ask every guest, what's the funniest drug testing story that you've got? Oh man. Um, okay. There's a specific, (laughs) okay. The specific one was, um, it was the first time I ever individually made nationals and it was my sophomore year of college of indoors. I made the 5k and, um, afterwards, like, I don't know how well I did. I probably got like 14th or something, but I was obviously like the people who win get drug tested and then there's just random selections and I got randomly selected. So this is like the first time I've ever taken a drug test. Um, and I didn't know that you were supposed to like get your coach or your trainer beforehand to like tell them. And so I just went with the people and my coaches and trainers were like freaking out because they didn't know where I went. And like, I wasn't supposed to not tell them. Um, eventually they found me and then I was like waiting and then I peed. And before uh, races, our co- we drank beet juice beforehand because it like has a bit of a... Um, helpful effect to like open up your blood vessels to race um I don't really drink beet juice anymore but it's it maybe helped I don't know um and so usually if you drink beet juice your pee is like kind of pink kind of red uh, <laughs> so I came out with my pee and I was like so embarrassed because like Carissa Schweitzer had won obviously like she's she was kind of a role model for me because like I was a young kid in college and Carissa was winning all of these national titles and I was just like so embarrassed <laughs> to walk out with my red pee but uh after a while like I still I still drink beet juice before races in college even like when I started when I like won a national title um but it was just kind of like that first time that just was like so awkward and embarrassing for me <laughs> The funniest thing is it's like, and, and, and it's now you, you two were Olympic teammates, but you telling that story, I really wonder if like, she ever really noticed or, or... probably did not notice. <laughs> at all. Like, I'm sure she like, doesn't even remember me from that, like, but I'm just this little like sophomore, like so nervous. Yeah. That's funny. I, I hope she hears this and like, it's like, oh, you know what? Now that I think about it, that was kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, if you could go on a run anywhere in the world with anyone from history, they don't have to be a runner. Um, assuming they could hold that little conversational pace with you, where would the run take place and who'd it be with? Oh, there's like so many options you could do. Okay. Honestly, one thing I've always thought would be interesting was to see America like before we inhabited it. So I think it would be interesting to like go for a run with Sacagawea, like on the Lewis and Clark expedition, just to like see what things look like, you know? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, all I'm, I'm looking out this window and I see just like millions of houses. I just like think it would be so cool to see just like the forests and I don't know. I feel like, you know, that would just be so interesting. Wow, that's actually, probably the best answer I've ever gotten to that question. I never, never thought about it in that way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I might trip over some routes and I'm sure it would be kind of difficult because there's like no roads, but I don't know. I just think Sacagawea sounds like an interesting person. So yeah, Yeah. I'll go with that. I've always thought as well, like, I think I've heard this question once where it was like, if you could pick any like historical figures to like have a social media account like whether it's an Instagram a Twitter or whatever like who would it be and what would the platform be and I and I always thought Lewis and Clark would have probably one of the coolest Instagram accounts (laughs) yeah (laughs) they're like dude I found this mountain I don't know (laughs) yeah and it's like they get to name all the geotags for it and all that stuff (laughs) (laughs) um 
final question uh, has nothing to do with running. And I kind of now I'm going to take a guess and see how you might answer it. You get 25 shots from half court on a full size basketball court. If you make one, you win $25 million. If you don't make any of the 25 shots, you go to jail for 25 years. Would you attempt the shots? Oh, man. Um, Okay. In high school, we actually would like at the end of practice sometimes set aside like 10 minutes just to like try to make half court shots. I wasn't, I wasn't very good at it though, because I don't have very strength. Like I don't have the strength to often make it to the backboard. Well, um, you know, I, I guess if I have 25 shots, I think I would probably bet on myself. I would say, let's see. So 21 and 25, I would take it, you know, I, I think I could do it. I could maybe, I would, if I had 40 shots for sure, yeah. 25, mm, but I might as well, you know, <laughs> for the situation. I like that. I like how you thought it all out and to kind of assess the risk there. And so, no, I, I, I believe, uh, I, I believe you could get it done. Yeah. Um, Alicia, thank you so much for, for, for doing this. What's, uh, what's the next race you've, you've got coming up. You said focusing on the 3k for indoors. So I'm guessing Milrose games. Yep. I'm doing Milrose in a couple Two weeks. weeks. Yeah, so, I think. Yeah, it'll be fun to kind of get the speed going. Yeah. Awesome. Well, wishing you all the best of luck in training for that. Enjoy the warm weather in Florida and uh, we'll see you at Milrose games. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks. The City of Smack Podcast is a production of the City of Smack Podcast Network. It is produced and edited by Mike Serzolo. Did you enjoy this episode enough to dish out a couple bucks? Support City of Smag by pledging any dollar amount over on patreon.com slash Mag to join our loyal legion of backers who keep this show going strong. If you're on your phone right now, you can also open up the Venmo app and hit us with a one-time donation to at City We've also got merch over on CityofSmag.com. Any way you can show your support goes a long way. Thanks for listening. I've been your host, Chris Chavez, wishing you some happy and healthy running. Legs are feeling good. See you next time.